Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad that you've tuned in to listen. So before I get into our subject for today, I just want to make a little bit of an announcement so that you can know of something that's coming in the future. Beginning on June 1st, I am planning on doing a podcast once a month, the first Thursday of each month, with one of the brethren in the congregation here in El Paso. We're just going to talk about various subject matters uh, back and forth, be a little bit different. It is not going to be uh, a replacement for Sunday or Tuesday. It's going to be an addition to. So the, the first Thursday of each month uh, should go up a podcast with one of the brethren here, so you can look forward to that. What we're going to talk about today is the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. In our study, we are going to notice the word visit. It comes from a Greek word that is defined, and if you wanted to use your Strong's Dictionary, it's Strong's number 1980, to inspect. That is, by implication, to select, to go and see, to relieve, to look out, to visit. A few examples of this, we see it when Jesus is giving the judgment scene in Matthew chapter 25, where he says, and, and you'll notice this term up, uh, appears twice in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It appears in verse 36, and it appears again in verse 43. And the text reads, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. <coughs> Excuse me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. <coughs> Excuse me for a second here. Let me grab a quick drink. Okay, let me come back. He says, I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or imprisoned and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and to everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall I also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we the hungered, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This is a huge part of the lesson that we're going to have today. Because when you look at what Jesus said there in that judgment scene about visited, it is understood as Jesus taught it, if we understand it as Jesus taught it, it wasn't to send something to him from afar or send somebody else to do something. It's individual going and physically looking after somebody. That's huge because when we're talking about James 1.27 to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction, which we're going to talk about in this lesson, it's not I sent them a card or I called them or I sent them a letter or I sent them a check. It's not as so many have done. I gave to an organization and that organization went and did something. It's personal, direct 
involvement. In Acts 6, the term is used again in Acts 6 and verse 3. as translated in the King James Version, look ye out. Here, uh, the church is in its infancy. It says in verse 1, those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Just to, just to kind of remind you, if you're or, or if you're not aware, to give you the context, when you go back to Acts 2, the gospel was preached first in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said in Luke 24, 44 through 47. And people had come to Jerusalem the 50th day after Passover, otherwise known as Pentecost. They were taught, they were converted, they were baptized Acts 2.41 added to the number of disciples. There was 3,000. Well, here we see that they're growing even more. Well, what happened is there were Jews all over from all over that came to Jerusalem, and they stayed there. They left their homes. They left their possessions. They left their financial stability, whatever it is they had in other lands, and they stayed there. Well, here you can see those widows that were from Greece were being neglected. Nobody was helping them out. So the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the apostles say, look, our work is to teach. If they're, if they're caught up in the daily service of the widows, then teaching is not occurring. He says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom that we may appoint over this business, and on he goes, and they do that so that the apostles could give themselves over to prayer and the service, the work of teaching. Look ye out. See, a personal investigation. After uh, Paul and Barnabas were involved in a situation in Antioch and coming back to Jerusalem and talking to the disciples in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem about the binding of circumcision, law of Moses that was going on in Antioch, and they go down to Antioch. Acts 15.36 says, Some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. The idea there, same, same Greek word, that's Strong's number 1980. Visit. It, it's physical. It's to go there. Paul didn't say, let's write epistles. Let us go and see how they do. So when we come into James 1.27 in this lesson, and we talk about that word visit, we're not talking about something indirect. There are a lot of false doctrines, a lot of people that are doing quote-unquote good works based on misrepresentation of James 1.27. That's why this is important to study this in depth. The idea is to actually see how somebody's doing. In Acts 17, 22 and 23, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians with mighty words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. You recall, he went and he visited them. He looked upon them. He inspected them. He interacted with them. He didn't send a letter. That's a huge part of our lesson today, folks. Please don't forget that because I'm not going to spend like... 10 minutes every time you know we're, we're going through to talk more about it. I want you to remember that, to look out, to inspect, you know, to, to see how they do, not to have someone else see how they do, but you see how they do, you to look after somebody. Another word we're going to talk about is the word affliction. The fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Well, what, what's that Greek word used? If you use your Strong's Concordance and Dictionary or any dictionary that's numbered as Strong's, it's Strong's number 2347, something like Thayer's. You could look it up that way. And it means to pressure, literally or figuratively, afflicted, anguish, burden, persecution, tribulation, trouble. So to inspect, to go and see, to look after the fatherless and the widows, and their burdens, and their tribulation, and their trouble. When we, we, we see that word multiple times, it's uh, translated that same way, afflicted, Matthew 24, 9, context of the destruction of Jerusalem, then they shall de deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you should be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So think about the first century application of this. When Jerusalem was being invaded and, and taken by the Roman Empire and destroyed, 
James 1.27, application is, who's going to look after the fatherless and the widows? Don't leave them on their own. They don't have a man to guide them. In Mark 4 and verse 17, um, and have no root in themselves, so endure for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So what happens to the word of God when somebody faces affliction and they're not rooted? So let's say we have a widow who is a babe in Christ, who has obeyed the gospel, and she's suffering persecution, and her brethren are not looking after her. What's likely to happen? She's going to fall away. In Mark 13, 19, same, you know, as Matthew 24, 9, affliction is used there. Uh, it's used in Acts 7, 10, 11, a lot of other places uh, throughout the Bible where it's translated affliction or afflictions. Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 23, when he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, he says, save the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So when you went look at what Paul went through, he went through heavy persecution. Sometimes you'll see this word translated tribulation at quite a few times. Matthew 13, 21, uh, the word tribulation is used when it's talking about the parable of the sower. Again, in the destruction of Jerusalem context, great tribulation in Matthew 24, 21. And then immediately after the tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 29. And Mark's account, Mark 13, 24, in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light. Talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. When Jesus was talking to the apostles, he said, These things have I spoken to you, and that ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Acts 14, 22, as Christians are being taught, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, on and on, you, you see it, general instructions like Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So, tribulation is a good word. So the fatherless and the widows and their tribulation, you could see the King James translates it that uh, rather frequently. It's also translated anguish. And John chapter 16 and verse 21 says, A woman when she's in travail has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she is delivered of child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Think about a woman in, in childbirth. I mean, I've, I've been present with my wife during the birth of three children. Anguish is a pretty good word. Even, even uh, before that epidural kicks in, she didn't always get an epidural, but uh, <laughs> there's a, it's, it's not pleasant. Uh, you know, our wives know it personally, but us, us men who have been present know, know it too. It's also translated trouble. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we are pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch we were despaired even of life. I think that's a, a great word to look at what affliction is. It's not somebody who is uh, struggling the way our soft world tends to think of struggling. Uh, it's serious problems. It's trouble in that way. Burdens. In 2 Corinthians 8.13, the context here in 2 Corinthians chapters 8, verse 1 through 9.13 the Christians in Corinth who were told to take up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 are now being called upon to, to fulfill that. Paul says, I'm going to send Titus and some messengers from the churches. You're going to have to show before them and all the congregations that you're willing to carry out this work. In that context, in 2 Corinthians 8, 13, I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. So they're in the sense of financial burden. So you can see the word affliction, financial burden. Look after the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and their burdens and their anguish and their trouble and their tribulation and their persecution. So with all of that in mind, I want to turn your attention to the text that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to back up a little bit. I don't want to just read verse 27. I'm, I'm going to actually do a little bit of uh, reading in, in the book of James. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read James 1, 12 through 27 to you. And then... Uh, in the chapter 2, there's a respect of persons problem among these saints, and that's addressed in verses 1 through 13. But then in James 2, 14, we kind of come right back to what, what we're seeing in, in uh, James 1, 19 through 27. So I, I want to read that too. So I'm just going to begin in James 1, 12, because the, the context, and as we're going to bear out as we look at this a little bit, 
is they're, they're, these Christians that the book of James is written to are facing affliction. Okay? So James 1.12, Blesses the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word. Wow, this, this is the huge part that so many people miss this in context. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, like a man looking in the mirror. What's he do? Verse 24. He beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, and him being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work, this man should be blessed in his deeds. So we're, we're not talking about a congregation. We're talking about each individual Christian, right? Just like Matthew 25 31 through 46 it says, if any man among you, again, drawing the individual out, seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And to chapter 2, Verse 14, notice how it fits everything that we just read uh, through 26. What doth it profit, my brethren, though man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, hey, what, what would that be? That would be somebody who's facing burdens, troubles, anguish, tribulation, right? Yes. He says in verse 16 of James 2, And one of you saying them, Depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, you, you can't see faith if it's inactive, right? Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou, O man... Will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, so here it is. You're a hearer of the word. You're a believer. But if you're not doing anything, you're dead. You're not faithful. You're not dependable. You're not among the children of God. You can't look at somebody who is suffering destitute of daily food. You can't look at this brother or sister in Christ, or this individual who cannot care for themselves, the fatherless and the widow, and you cannot look at them and say, be warm and filled. That does nothing. Those are just words. Actions matter. Now, I know that there are people that take this text and say, well, this is talking about outward, outward works. It's not talking about things from the heart, and they do all kinds of word plays with different things. Look, you do not help people as an outward show. If you are helping people to stand out before men, then you are sinning. Do you catch that? This isn't, this isn't the Holy Spirit working through the pen of James telling Christians, put on a show so that people can see your faith. In Matthew chapter 6, take heed 
that, that ver, beginning verse 1, you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I send to you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Thy arms may be in secret, and thy father which see secret shall reward thee openly. This is, this is, this is huge. Applying James 1, 12 through 2, 26 and faith and works. This, this, this is a huge point. Don't do this to be seen of men. When you're relieving somebody in need, it should only be as known as need be. If I'm going to inspect, to look after, to see after the needs of somebody else, I don't need to make a show of that. I just need to go and do it. Yeah, it may be inescapable that somebody may see it, but I'm not doing it to be seen. That's the right way to approach this and any other context wherein you're helping somebody. Now let's come back to our context. To whom is the book of James written? James 1, 1 through 4. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, reference to Israel, right? Which are scattered abroad. That's huge. We'll talk about that in a moment. Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that they may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Just to be clear, this is not my brethren in the sense of we are Jews. This is my brethren in the sense that they have been begotten through the word of God. James 1 verse 18. They are the first fruits of his creatures because the gospel was first preached to the Jews. Just like Jesus said in Luke 24, 47. So these are early Jewish Christians. When he says, which are scattered abroad. This gives us con context, historical context. We don't need commentaries for just just the Bible, using the Bible as a commentary. In Acts 7, 51 through Acts 8, verse 4, says Stephen's preaching here. He says, you stiff-necked. And by the way, just let me back up. Earlier, we talked about Acts 6, uh, 1 through 6, where they looked out uh, brethren to help with the Grecian widow. Stephen was one of them. Well, this turned into a conflict. Stephen began preaching and pointing out the hypocrisy of some of those there. In the midst of that, here's where we are. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which show before the coming of the just one, of whom we have now been the betrayers, and, of whom now ye have been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on them with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he died. In Acts 8, Saul was consenting unto his death. This is Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria ex except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. This tells us who they are, who the scattered are. In fact, you can see, you know, it's, it's still the case in Acts eleven nineteen, where uh, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only. That's right after Cornelius was converted. So at this point, Gentiles had begun to be taught the word of God through Peter, but, but it had not grown yet to uh, everybody preaching to the Gentiles. So, so you, you get the picture here, right? 
Jewish Christians being persecuted so badly that they were scattered. I want you to picture that in your mind and think about that. One of the things I love about our Bible classes uh, here in, in El Paso is we, we often, when we're studying, like right now, we have class where we're studying 1 John and another class on Sunday, later on Sunday afternoon where we're studying Luke. We always try to go back and see because, you know, these things aren't written to us. They're written to other people. We're reading somebody else's mail. How did it apply to them? They're scattered. They're fleeing persecution. The lesson of James 1.27 is don't forget the helpless. That's a bit different than the way people apply it today, isn't it? It's different than almost any application I've seen today uh, where we don't have Christian widows in the United States of America that are fleeing persecution and has nobody to provide for them or fatherless children because their fathers have been killed at the hand of persecutors. That, that's our context. That's James 1.27. That's, that's our context. I'm not saying there's not an application to be made today. No, because you know, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's application to be made today. We want to look after the fatherless and the widows. However, we, we need to hold it to those that are facing affliction, not just the, the outward works that a lot of people get caught up into. We sent money to an orphan home type thing. You did nothing right there. In fact, you violate James 1.27 when you do that because you're paying somebody else to do what God told you to do. You can't do that. And, and just to illustrate this, and I'm going to be crude here for a moment, in the marital relationship, the bed is undefiled before God, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. You're to render due benevolence to your mate, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. You can no more pay someone else to do James 1.27 than you can pay somebody to do 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. No, no more can you call this a work of the church than if you were to render your spouse to the church to be rendered due benevolence. Really, it's that simple. And people manipulate this text. They don't even have a clue. I'm sure if you're listening to this and you're among a lot of churches... This is the first time you've ever heard this presented contextually because it's not generally presented contextually. Generally, it's presented to get your money. You know, somebody comes to your congregation and says, I'm from this orphan home and we're raising money to support these children. Look at these poor kids. Look at this, 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 this. Many of them have fathers, by the way. They're not even fatherless. Yeah. We'll get into fatherless here in a moment. It doesn't fit James 1.27. And if you feel sorry for somebody that needs help, it's not, oh, let me pay this guy some money or let me give on the first day of the week and let the church carry out this responsibility. No, that's your job. Go look after them. If you care, go look after them. Get off your lazy butt and go look after them. That's what the Bible says to do. That's what James 1.27 means. That's pure and undefiled religion before God. I want to come back a little bit here. Jews in Christ, I want, I want to expand your mind here in understanding this text. Jews in Christ, which knew God, they knew that God did not disregard the fatherless and the widow. In Psalm 146.9, remember this is written to Jewish Christians scattered abroad, early first century. Psalm 146.9, therefore, is something they've been taught, at least in principle. It says, The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. God didn't disregard the fatherless and the widow. During harvest, in Deuteronomy 24, 20 and 21, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs there again. That, that shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for a stranger, for fatherless, and for the widow. Hey, in other words, Leave some on the branch. Leave some on the branch. In Deuteronomy 26, when it came to the tithing laws of the Old Testament, and again, a lot different than today, 
Uh, today, you give as you've purposed in your heart, as you've prospered, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 8 and following. On the old law, Deuteronomy 26, 12 and 13, when thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and has given unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Then shalt thou say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of my house, and also give them unto the Levite, unto the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. According to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me, I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. Ah, see, they looked after, they inspected, they gave, and God had a law in place to look after them. I even told not to take advantage of them. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed be he that perverted the judgment of the stranger, fatherless, and widow, and all the people shall say amen. But, folks, here's the dark side. Here's the dark side. Why does James 1, 27 even have to be written to Christians? Well, the Jews had a dark history when it came to the fatherless and the widows. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. Not only did they not look after the fatherless and the widows, they were robbing them, taking advantage of them. It was sinful behavior that they had to repent of back at the beginning of the book of Isaiah in the first chapter, verses 17 through 23, as he's calling them to repentance, he says, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and follow after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. They were so corrupt. They weren't looking after the needy. God told them, you need to repent this. In, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. I'm just beginning at verse 1. From the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah that enter into the gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if, if, conditional here, if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So here it is. Don't be hearers only. Be doers. In principle, being taught in Jeremiah 7, 1 through 7. Don't just say, the temple, the temple, the temple. They came to worship. And while they were coming to worship, they weren't looking after the people. God said, you need to look after them. God's plan was that those that can't take care of themselves will be able to depend upon their brethren. You know, after the children of Israel spent 70 years in Babylon, this that lesson still had to be taught. They were told to look back on their sinful past in general. In Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 14, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. Let none of you imagine evil against his brethren in heart, but they refuse to hearken. Pulled away the shoulder, stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yeah, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by his spirit to the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore 
It has come to pass, that as he cried, and they would not hear. So they cried, and I will not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. So God reminds them, you went into Babylon because in part you did not look after the fatherless and the widow. That wasn't the only reason, but in part. You are a shameful people. But wait, they learned their lesson, right? So then why did James have to teach this in the early first century? You know why James had to teach this in the early first century? Because it was still part of the Jewish society. It was still part of the customs of the quote-unquote religious people. In Matthew 23, 14, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. In Luke 12, 45-47, uh, again, um, we have the fact that the Lord expects what a person is capable of doing. They were capable of looking after the fatherless and the widow, but guess what? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't look after them. They instead took advantage of them. How shameful. How shameful to devour widows' houses. I mean... Well, that's why this has to be written. It has to be written because they're shameful people. They're not looking after God's people that need help. They're not tending to the helpless, taking advantage of them. In Luke 20 and verse 47, which devour widows' houses for a show make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. Yeah, and that's talking about the scribes that wanted to walk in their long robes and have greetings in the marketplaces. How shameful. How shameful. That's why James 1.27 is written. It was part of their history. Past and in the first century. Widows were being neglected and further than that, abused and robbed. When we come into the first century, we already saw in Acts 6 that you know they needed to be looked after. That they picked some men to, to go and, and to look after them in the daily ministration, people that can look after them, people that will actually uh, do some work. Uh, but that didn't take away the individual responsibility. That was overseers making sure it got done but didn't take away individual responsibility. When we look at later instructions, you know, when you're looking at Acts 6, you're talking about a unique situation that likely will never happen on earth again, where there's only one city where there's a congregation and everybody's coming to that one city. Think about thousands of members of a congregation. How in the world does 12 men... Look after him. It's kind of like Moses when the Lord, uh, you know, appointed elders uh, to help him. There had to be something done here uh, to help out to make sure things were being done. And you'll remember if you go back and you read Acts chapters two and Acts chapters four, brethren there were selling their possessions and giving as every man had need. There had to be distribution of things. It was quite a unique situation. When we come later into the first century, the Evangelist Timothy was given instructions concerning widows. And this is huge because it's what we would apply today. It's not a unique situation of Acts 6. It's what we would apply today. In 1 Timothy 5, beginning of verse 3, it says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. Okay, wow. So we're going to have a qualifier, some qualifiers here. He says, But if any widow have children or nephews... Let them first show piety at home and requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, remember when we were talking about affliction earlier, desolate fits that, right? 
trusteth in God, continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. These things give in charge, that they may be blameless. But if any man provide not for his own, especially those in his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So it's let family take care of him first. Man has to provide for his own household. What about collectively? When would you know she be taken in and the church uh, be helping on a collective uh, basis? Maybe something that's too big for an individual, etc. It says, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, so 60, having been the wife of one man, well reported of good works, brought up children, lodged strangers, she has washed saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse. When they began to wax want against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they cast off their first faith. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies speaking those things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So she has to be over 60, meet the qualifications, not the younger widows, because if the congregation is taking care of younger widows, then that's just going to give them time and freedom to do things that they shouldn't be doing. It's going to allow them to cater to the flesh rather than the spirit. He says, For some have already turned after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. I was talking earlier about James 1.27. The individual responsibility is again highlighted here. There may be times where the church as a collective body has to get involved, but there are strict qualifications to that. You just heard them, right? It's not just any widow. Strict qualifications uh, that are involved when the collective would be engaged, when something's just too big for somebody that has their own family to take care of, to take care of of these widows. Uh, Again, situations we don't see much today. Now we have men, I know me personally, and others get, you know, generally get life insurance policies in case something happens to us. Uh, to provide for our families after our decease, try to make investments, try to plan, try to leave our wives so that they're not vulnerable, uh, etc. Uh, the church isn't going to be, or individual Christians uh, called upon very often in those situations. Well, they didn't have that in the first century, especially when they were facing persecution. Think about the real situation, James one twenty seven is you have a lot of people who have moved to Jerusalem and left everything they owned behind, aside from the things that they originally brought to Jerusalem. They don't have their land. If they're farming or businesses or whatever else, they've left that behind. They've forsaken all to follow Jesus. Then it's, what are we going to do with those that have forsaken all to follow Jesus and they don't have a husband? They're not out able to find work and jobs. And if you read through, uh, you know, the book of Acts and you also read through, you know, Romans and uh, you can see in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 16, etc., Romans 15, 25 through 27, Acts 11, uh, 27 through 30, man, great troubles arose in Jerusalem so that the saints were poor. They needed help. They needed congregations outside of Jerusalem, Christians outside of Jerusalem to aid them dire situation. It wasn't, and I think we all know this, nobody had electricity in the first century. So it's just an illustration. It wasn't that a widow could not afford her electric bill and churches took up collections to pay it. They were truly desolate. And I'm not saying, you know, especially here in El Paso, Uh, If we had a widow here, summer months without any kind of air conditioning would be terrible, Uh, would be hard to live through. I know me as an individual Christian, I I would want to help her, uh, but I wouldn't make that announcement. I wouldn't get up, you know what, I'm helping sister and -and so-and-so with her electric bill. I'm going to have the principle of James 127 in mind, but that's not the command. That's not the instruction. It's not the context. When it comes to the fatherless, 
You could do that word study on that. You're going to find that word appears one more time. In the King James Version, it's translated comfort, comfortless. Jesus talking to his disciples in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And of course, he's going to send the comforter. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Um, that's Strong's number 3737. Uh, it's somebody who is without a father, parents, or a teacher, or a guide, or a guardian, uh, etc. Some, somebody not there to look after them. But when we look at James 1.27, the first century application, like we read in Acts 7 and verse 51, you know, as your fathers did, so do ye. The Jews had a history of repeat, repeating previous generation sins. They had a history of holding on to the traditions of men. When Jesus in Mark chapter 7 and the Pharisees came to him and certain of the scribes, verse 1, uh, they came from Jerusalem. When they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables, and the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things ye do. And he said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and mother, whoso, converse, whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father and mother, It is Corbin, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered in many such like things you do. The Jews had that history. They continued it in the first century. They would tell, say basically to their mothers and fathers, I've already done enough for you. So if their mother is a desolate widow facing affliction, they washed their hands of it. I, I've already done what I needed to do. The Jews had a problem of carrying on these sinful traditions and continued to disobey God through these sinful traditions. They had been told, even in the Old Testament, stop following the ways of your fathers. In 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 7, Be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespass against the Lord God their fathers who gave them up to desolation as you see. I mean, this problem continues in the first century. So in James 1, it's be doers and not hearers only. Put in the work. Instead of saying you have faith, show your faith. Help that person who is in need, that is your sister in Christ, that is the fatherless, that is facing affliction. Long before this, um, in James 1, Zechariah, I mean, he, he teaches it. Zechariah 1, uh, again, they've come out of captivity. It says, in the eighth month, second year of Darius, Zechariah 1, 1, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berkiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I have commanded my servants, the prophets, they did not take hold of your fathers. And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways, according to our doors, so hath he dealt with us. Look, look, don't, don't be caught up following the ways of, of uh, people who say and do not. Well, Israel just kept perpetuating that sin. The instruction in James 1.27 is for them not to abandon the fatherless and the widow and their affliction. If you're going to take that application today, it's I, I, to practice pure and undefiled religion, need to look after those that need looked after, like the fatherless and the widows. 
I cannot abandon that responsibility. You know, even if you're in the 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16 situation where the church is helping a widow indeed, don't just say, I gave on the first day of the week. Go look after her. That may not ever include money, but visually inspecting. I brought up the heat in El Paso. Man, if we've got an old sister in Christ, we, we, we've had these situations. Uh, we had a woman, um, her last name was Westbrook. She was older. She had daughters that came and checked on her, but myself and one of the other brethren, we, we looked after her on a regular basis. Uh, as long as we could. as she, she lived in a home by herself. Her family didn't really take good care of her. We went and looked in on her. That didn't mean we brought her money or food or anything else. We went to see how she was doing. And you should be doing such things. And I'm not trying to give a list of my works, uh, so forth and so on. Just, just an example that came to mind. I could say others too, but I don't want to get into boasting for works. Just citing an example. Go look after, go inspect, go see how they do. Hey, well, I sent a text message. Wait, 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 wait. I don't know about you, but I know about my brothers and sisters in Christ here in El Paso. I sent them a text message. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? In the meantime, they're afflicted. Well, why'd they say doing good? Because they said that respectfully speaking. They weren't lying to me. All things considered, they are doing good. They don't look at their affliction as something they want to burden somebody else with. They don't want to complain. They don't want to be murmurers and complainers, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. So go look after them. We get to see each other on the first day of the week. We get to visually inspect one another. But when there's a problem, it's going to require additional effort. It's going to require you to go and see, inspect. So in James 1, 27... It also talked about keep himself unspotted from the world. What does that mean? Hey, real simple. That's what Jesus was. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the, your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You can do a word study. Holds up to the word study too. You have to be like Jesus. Isn't that the example we're supposed to follow anyway? So what that means in the day that Jesus comes, 2 Peter 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Without spot and blameless. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. When Jesus prayed for the twelve, and not just them only, if you read the whole context, but all them that believe on his word, he says in John 17.14 and 15, I give them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. We can't go and live in a desert place. We just had this discussion here in El Paso in a Bible class. I can't remember whether it was the First John class. I think it was the First John class. Yeah, because we're talking about First John 2, uh, 15 and 16 particularly. In fact, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Don't, don't fall in love with the world or the things of the world. Keep yourself unspotted. Don't find yourself to be a conformer. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. So that's real brief, but you know the main point of this lesson was the fatherless and the widows and their affliction as I had titled it. We have to learn from things that evil people do. Uh, we have to learn from things that good people too, too. But, but back in Proverbs 21, 12, the righteous man wisely considered the house of the wicked, but God overthrew the wicked for their wickedness. So when we look back on the wicked and say, God was displeased with them, both in the Old Testament and in the first century. Why? Because they did not look after the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. What do you think that would mean for you? If you have opportunity 
right? Galatians 6 and verse 10 is, We therefore have opportunity. Let us do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. If you have opportunity, don't neglect that. Back to the judgment scene of Matthew 25, 31 through 46 that we read early in the lesson. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me not. You don't want to be the person that does not inspect the least of those, the Lord's brethren. Well, who are his brethren? Those that do his will. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. Don't neglect the brethren. Learn from the history of Israel and their repeated sins. And let me tell you this. If you're writing a check for someone else to do what James 1, 27 puts in your lap, you're violating that verse. You're violating that verse. It's not to write a check. It in some cases, maybe even many cases, will have no monetary implications at all. It's look after them. What if she's fallen and she can't get up and she doesn't have one of those handy uh, necklaces that I don't know if they're still around. I'm, you know, y'all remember that commercial? Used to be on television. Now that we're in the world of streaming, I don't know about you, but I don't watch too many commercials. I hate them. Try to get away from them anyway. But uh, where the commercial, unfortunately... It was kind of humorous. I mean, it. it I, I, you don't want to laugh when somebody's falling and they can't get up. But the way it was, you know, it was pretending. It was it was fake. But older person falls and they push the button and, you know, operator is on the other end. How can I help you? I've fallen and I can't get up. What if a brother or sister, somebody older, we won't even just talk about just widows. What if somebody older falling and can't get up? Weeks go by. You know, they're going to die. Why? Because you didn't look after them. Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patient and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We have these lessons so that we don't fail like Jews both in the Old Testament and Jewish Christians in the New Testament who are doing. We can learn from them. Here in El Paso, we have some older members they're looked after first by their families, but not exclusively because those of us who understand the importance of the context of James 1, 12 through 27 and 2, 14 through 26, we don't say they're good. Someone else is looking after them. We also, too, want to inspect and look after. We have an older brother. He lives in an apartment complex where another family does. And, and there are people in his family that are trying to move him to yet another apartment complex closer to them. Why? So, so it's easier to look after them. It's always on the lookout uh, for them. We have a brother and sister in Christ who, who do good works in this congregation. They open their home up for us to assemble in. And also, we have an older sister in Christ, mother to uh, the wife, mother-in-law to the husband. They've moved her in to look after her, to inspect her, because her health is not uh, well. But they're not the only ones that look in on her. Other people do too. Why? Because of the principle of James 1.27. Folks, if you want to get to heaven, you got to care about people. And not in a manner in which you pass that off on someone else. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it has been informative. I hope it has been challenging. I hope that it has gotten you to think about your responsibilities as means and opportunity are there for you to fulfill the principles of James 1.27. But also keep in mind, that at least in many situations here in the United States of America, the direct contextual application isn't, isn't duplicated today as it was then. You don't have people running away, not only from their homes, but their now temporary home because they've already left their home to go somewhere else and now they're having to flee there. And who's watching out for them? Their people are all involved in protecting their own families. What about, what about this widow? Well, if they were being neglected in Acts 6 when they were all together in one place, now you can see what, why James 1.27 is written, right? If they were being neglected when they were all placed and people could see that they were being neglected, yeah, when they start scattering, even more so. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth. Hope you learned from it. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you've got questions, I invite you to call me up. Uh, my phone number is 
525-5794. Wherever you're listening to this podcast on, you can just click on the show information. My phone number, email, website address are there. Brian at wordsoftruth.net is my email. Wordsoftruth.net is uh, my website. I also want to let you know, on Tuesday, we're going to ask a question. Because there are verses in the Bible that could be taken to mean that the physical planet Earth is never going to cease to exist. Verses like Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4. So Tuesday's podcast is, is the earth going to abide forever? And then uh, the following Tuesday, I've got a listener request. Uh, We're going to talk about demons and demon possession and the devil and Satan and what his work was and is on earth. You know, is is he behind things, manipulating things? I think you'll find that to be an interesting study. So that's a little bit of what is coming uh, up in the near future. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll tune in Tuesday to hear that podcast.